Adam Lively in The Times called it extraordinary and brilliant. Another critic said it was the perfect antidote to lyrical India. Much of the power of Aravindadiga's first novel, The White Tiger, derives from the voice of its narrator, Balram Halwai. Balram is not the sort of character who is normally given centre stage in Indian novels. He comes from a low caste in a backward, almost feudal village. His lot in life seems to be that of the downtrodden servant, mistreated by his affluent, westernised masters. Yet over the course of several nights, he relates in an extraordinary monologue the steps he took to turn himself into a self-made entrepreneur. I asked Aravinda Diga how the character of Balram had taken shape in his mind. I was a, a journalist in India for Time magazine from uh, 2003 to the end of 2005 and uh, in the course of my work I travelled a lot throughout India and uh, I'd meet people in, in different parts of India, uh, people whom I wouldn't meet had I just stayed, uh, I wouldn't have met had I stayed on in Delhi or in a big city. So Balram is a composite of, of, of many people I met when I was travelling and, and, and people I talked to. So he's not one particular person as much as a, um, a kind of synthesis of numerous men who are making the transition from their villages to a city. You say, or he says in the book, that I think on two occasions he says that he could be half the men in India. So there's obviously right. a sense in which he represents right. something. Sure, because he, he comes from a part of India that's uh, the part along the Ganges that is one of the most densely populated parts of India. And uh, something like uh, over 400 million Indians live, live in that part of the country. But generally, the man I've described, you know, of medium height with a moustache, kind of thin, is, is, is the physical and dark skin, is, is a physical uh, characteristic, is a kind of, he looks like half the men in India. I also meant that a lot of my readers, presumably, the middle class in India don't necessarily look like this. They tend to be a bit taller because they've been better fed. Um, often they're lighter skinned, uh, clean shaven typically. So Balram belongs to that half of India that's not doing particularly well. That's the second point in, in calling him uh, you know, uh, someone who could be half, half of Indians. One of the things I really liked about the book is that it is written in the form of an address to the Premier of China. Balram is explaining his life and his situation, his, what makes his life typical, to um, the Chinese Premier. And I wondered uh, at what stage did you, did you hit upon that as, as a way of, of, making, of developing the narrative? Well, the idea that he would be talking to someone was integral to it because, um, as I said, this was um, the voice is is a synthesis of of conversations I had had with many men, and this was was them talking to me. So, in a sense, Balram was talking to me as as the novel came into being, and and when I was actually writing it down, I got replaced by the Chinese premier because it struck me that Indians are always in conversation with people from, from other countries about their own country. That is, uh, our sense of self is profoundly influenced by the way outsiders see us. I think possibly because of our long uh, colonial history. And what has happened in the past 10 years is that the outsider we compare ourselves to is no longer the West, but it's become China. And you know, as China develops fast, it, it begins to occupy uh, so much attention all over the world, including in India. And Indians are particularly fascinated by China because, on the one hand, there are these resemblances, you know, two giant nations um, with an ancient history. On the other hand, China has developed so unlike India, and it's such an antithesis of India. You know, it's, it's industrial, it's urban, its population is stabilizing, and in India, is, India is doing none of those things. It's still rural, uh, it's not particularly industrial, it's just gradually industrializing, its population is still growing. 
And Indians tend to uh, see China as the other, so it became natural that if Balram was talking to someone else, uh, he would be talking to someone from China. When we in the West think about India and China, one of the one of the key differences we think of is that India is, is democratic. Right. Um, uh, the the part of India that Balram comes from um, is is not a particularly um, you know good example of democracy in action. Most of India is quite democratic, but but in parts of India, people have trouble exercising uh, their right to vote. And even when they do vote, their choice is really limited to, to a couple of very rotten politicians. What Balram is doing, and, and what, I'm, uh, what I'm, I'm trying to get the reader to think about, is, is this idea of democracy being you know, necessary and sufficient for a country to progress. Because often I think that democracy is one of those things we just take for granted as, as something that's absolutely good. It's an irony of history that China, uh, an undemocratic country, has done a much better job in feeding, uh, clothing and educating its poor than India, a democratic country, has done in the past 60 years. If you were a poor person and you had a choice uh, where you wanted to live in India or China, I mean, you would have to pick China in every respect. You'd be better educated, you'd be better fed, your wife would probably not die at childbirth. So it's just something, you know, I wanted to be a bit provocative here because I'm, I fear that in India the idea that we are a democracy and everything will be okay has taken root too deeply and, and people get smug and complacent because, uh, because it's a democracy and you can be a democracy and you can still fail the vast majority of people who live in your country which um, to some extent has happened in India. The, the world of Balram is very different from the view of India that we often see reflected in, in literature in the West as a com complete I think one of the reviewers said it's an antidote to a lyrical view of India. Right. Uh, the, the view of India that emerges from novels is, is often, you know, a middle class view. Uh, the characters are either middle class or, or upper class. Um, and even if they tend to be poor, they still think of the world in a middle class sort of way. That is, they, they, you know, they believe in the institutions around them. Um, they believe that if they keep pushing, things will get better. Uh, now, what I've tried to do is, is write a novel from the point of view of someone at the bottom in India. And, and that is an entirely different way of looking at the world from, from the way a middle-class person would look at the world. And it tends to be a much harsher, uh, more brutal view of life that, that people, uh, poor people in India tend to have, uh, a much more fatalistic, uh, cynical view of the world. Um, so this, this is an attempt to write something from, from the point of view of someone at the bottom uh, of society, and, and that, in doing so, it does end up being different from, from, other, from most other novels written um, by Indians. Were you consciously writing against that representation? I mean, sometimes I wondered if, the, if there was a certain sort of anger sort of fueling uh, that view of India, a sort of impatience that Balram's India is so little represented in, in writing. I, I can't say I was consciously doing that. I, I was challenging certain, um, certain held notions about India, but this is not necessarily... Like, for instance, the idea you know, of, the, of the Indian family um, which, which is constantly um, eulogized in literature, but not just in literature, in Indian society in general. I think I was, I, was, I was consciously trying to take on certain values and certain ideas about India held in India by the middle class. I wasn't consciously writing against um, the portrayal of India in, in other novels in English. It just so happens that the kind of person I am writing about is, is hardly ever depicted in, in fiction. And just being honest to, to his views and his worldview um, creates a voice that, that is very different and very unusual and very unlike anything that you normally see. There's a very striking image in the book of why the poor don't 
rise up and reject the condition, the, the terrible material conditions in which they're living. And you, you write about the, the rooster coop, and that's a sort of important metaphor, I think, for, for the reason why the status quo is maintained. Right. The poor in India, when, when, when you speak to them, tend to use animal metaphors a lot. Um, I, I think partly because uh, you know, animals play a much greater role in, in day-to-day life in India. You're surrounded by you know, pigs, goats, you know, and, and donkeys. And monkeys and, and everything really, but particularly um, you know the, the poor have a sense that life is is quite brutal and and almost bestial, and so when you talk to them, the metaphors they use tend to be animal metaphors. So I was conscious of of, of capturing that in Balram's course. Um, the, the, the rooster coop is something you'd see if you travelled in India. This extraordinary coops in which uh, roosters and chickens are just stuffed in. Uh, I mean, dozens just packed in, and 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 so pe- people can pick and choose. The metaphor here is you know, is used to, to try and, and sum up the experience of the working class in India, of the servant class particularly. Um, because every morning in India you just notice these thousands, hundreds of thousands of men and women streaming into work and, and they, they live in the slums or in terrible conditions and they, they travel in terrible conditions and they get to work uh, in the houses of the middle class and the rich. And yet they never revolt, you know, they, they, they just they seem to accept things so placidly. And this fascinated me when I, when I came back to India as to why, why such a system worked. Because um, when I'd lived in New York, there's, there is a perception that there's a link between economic deprivation, between poverty and crime, that uh, a great disparity in wealth would lead to, to higher levels of crime. Um, and, and then I had a friend come in from South Africa and he, he was asking why there was so little crime in India because there was such uh, disparities in wealth and, and this in South Africa had led to crime. And um, it struck me that so many Indians are, are, so many of the servant class are in that rooster coop and they're sort of tied in by various social forces that bind them to the system and, uh, and serve as a disincentive to crime. And my, my novel is a kind of attempt to understand what, why that rooster coop works and why these people uh, play along in a system w- from which they get so little by way of material reward. And Balram eventually does escape and the book is a narrative of describing how he escaped from the rooster um, right but there was a terrible price that he had right to pay. that's the, the price is you know the uh, sacrifice a literal sac- i mean you know uh, a sacrifice of your of your family and and um, a, a traditional indian sense of self is is very deeply tied into his family he almost can't uh, he or she can't think for himself or herself without thinking of of the family and and to sacrifice the family uh, to, to, to gain his freedom, he has to sacrifice his family in a very terrible way. And that's the cost of, of Balram making his freedom. It's, it's also the cost of you know, something you have to abandon when you make this sudden shift from, from the traditional world to the modern age. In a sense, Balram has literally sacrificed his family, but it's, it's something on, on a less dramatic level that uh, every Indian has to do when, when he or she leaves the village and comes to the city. To truly live an urban life, to make the transition from, from the Middle Ages to modernity, you, you have to, to cut your, your ties to your family to some extent or the other. Uh, Balram has done this in a more dramatic way, but I think you know, to some extent the links to the family are getting severed. And as they are, the entire rooster could, could come apart. So I see this in a sense as a cautionary tale. What, what, what my narrator is, is that was a white tiger. He's, he's unusual for his time. Very few servants actually, you know, kill their masters or take their money in India. It's, it's still remarkable, you know, the, the endurance of the servant class in India is just heroic. But uh, I, I see signs that this endurance may be coming to an end, and, and the family bonds that help people 
to the to the servile post, you know, maybe fraying. And so what my narrator has done today may be something that, that more and more do on a larger scale in the future, and, and that this could lead to greater social unrest. One thing which I shouldn't fail to emphasize is the book is also very funny. There are many scenes right. in the book, particularly about middle class Indian life and shopping malls and aspiration right. and material things. Uh, the, the humor was again uh, something, you know, something that I was trying to do and perhaps you don't see in many, many books of this kind in India because they either tend to be books written on India, tend to be either very earnest, I mean they can be very well written and earnest, or they tend to be um, funny in a kind of magic realist way, kind of over the top satirically funny. I wanted a kind of humor that was grounded in Indian social reality because often humor is the only way to, to you either have to laugh or cry at some things in India. Uh, when you see a, you know, a, a malnourished rickshaw puller in Delhi, you know, uh, who's, the back of whose rickshaw has a sign saying, want to lose weight, you know, speak mm. to me. And, and you know, when you see that, you, my initial reaction was one of just, just uh, horror. But then it struck me that humor was a way um, both of telling the story and of controlling my own reactions, my own, um, my own feelings towards things would, would veer towards the extreme if they weren't controlled by humor. So it was mm. an outlet both for the, um, for the reader and for the writer.